Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Welcome, everyone. Sorry for being late, the computer being what it is. We only have the one camera tonight. It tasks me. It tasks me, and I will have it. it. Yes. <laughs> um, junior office dog is uh, deciding to make her presence known. What are you doing? I would you like some dog. screen time. You don't I need have any some screen things time. to say. <laughs> Down. I wish to become an internet star. Yeah. <laughs> you probably get a bigger audience than we do. Uh, uh, hello, well, Robert, in the chat. Dog, you're going to... Well, you know, see, okay, so we are simulcasting right, yeah. mm-hmm. on both YouTube and Twitch. Right. And so I'm I'm using my mobile device to monitor the live chat on YouTube. Right. And I'm using the Kindle to monitor the live chat in Twitch. Right. And I keep getting these pop-ups on the Kindle because I'm, I'm in the browser and it says use um, the app. Use the app. Right. Except there's not an app to download to the Kindle. Right. As far as I can find, I can't find it if there is one. So if anybody's got any idea where I can find it, let me know because I don't know where it is. I haven't been able yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, it, I, so. I've, I've got uh, an Amazon Fire tablet, which is a very nice little tablet. I mean, it's not particularly bell, cool bells and whistles, but it does the job, right? You know. Oh, yes. iHeartRadio. We are, we are the on H2O I- podcast is now available on iHeartRadio. There you go. There it is. Her voice is better. Yes. <laughs> but I have the same problem with my with my Fire tablet is that there's the Amazon store has a lot of things that are equivalent. Yeah. But not necessarily. I'm gonna um, aim that at you a little bit more. Uh, not everything is there, so I don't I don't use my tablet much for that. I mean, I mostly just use it to have a little you know a bigger screen if I want to you know, watch yeah. a movie or something. And, yeah, and this is um, pretty traveling. much, you know, this is pretty much the only thing that I use the Kindle for anymore because originally the idea was because the youngling liked devices so much. Right, sure. Uh-huh. That maybe... Like these kids do. I know, these kids these days. That maybe we could get him to read books right. on the device, and so we all—my parents and I—we all went in on this Kindle, and we was like, "Okay, let's get him this thing and sure. see if it was nothing." Yeah, nothing. Well, you know, not everyone is a reader, as much as it pains it pains me to say. Kai books. Robert said he uses Kai K Y books. Kai books. I haven't heard of that app. I might have to look into that. Um, to download third-party books to Kindle, he uses the Kai app books, Kai books app, to read non-Kindle dot p dot pub and dot mobi files. Huh. Okay. Okay. We'll have to look into that. I, Good to I, know. I don't. I have not heard of that. Um, so here we are. 
down to one camera and our coffee. This is the important part. You know, this is this actually is is you know has been primarily a podcast. If we're down to no cameras, we're still doing what we do. Well, that's true. <laughs> However, we are broadcasting live on two video channels. Yeah, but we so, have faces for radio, yeah, and do, and quite frankly, do. you know, you could put a still of us up there. You could put a still of the dogs up there. <laughs> I, you know, I almost, I almost wonder if. If we were to do that one day, yes, just we if we go and sit behind mm -hmm. the camera. You had to keep the dogs. Yeah, well, but the it, dogs have to be able to sit still the entire hour here. Well, so, actually, you know, all you have to do is shoot enough, and then you could edit it together. <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't do that live. That's when you uh, well, OBS. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be a trick. That would be a trick. Uh, could be funny though. Mm. Um, <laughs> maybe for a short time, or a promo, maybe. Right there, you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, we could do something like hey, that. Hey, we have so. a sponsor. We should talk about. Yes, I suppose we should. Um, yeah, even though I haven't heard anything back from them as to whether or not we've made any money, I have sent them an email, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so, yes, let us throw the full-screen graphic up on the screen, superherostuff.com. They have uh, afforded us a discount code, sci fi for me 10 When you use that, you just basically enter that promo code uh, when you check out uh, for your order. And uh, there's a handy-dandy QR code there that you can scan. You go right to it, and uh, you get a 10% discount on everything that you buy through SuperheroStuff.com. Some very cool things there. Lots e of very cool things there. And even more important than that is a way that you can support us directly. Uh, this is not something that I have uh, touted a lot, but we are on Subscribestar. Mm -hmm. And right now, we've only got just the base level, five bucks a month, for subscribers and you get access to a private Facebook group and we're still trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do with it mm -hmm. but it it's it's there we haven't done a whole lot to promote it because we've got to figure out what to do with it uh, and then of course over on YouTube uh, now that we are fully monetized again there is the super chat option right. so you can click the little uh dollar sign button there and you can throw money our way and we've actually you're not going to try to get demonetized before you stop streaming tonight <sighs> you it, i haven't told you about that no okay so um so over there's a story and this actually kind of kind of does lead into our topic for the for the, for the night uh last nice. friday i believe thursday mm -hmm. or friday sometime last middle of last week Larry Correa, who was the organizer of the first Sad Puppies campaign during the Hugo Awards, he got a 24-hour ban, a 24-hour suspension on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this suspension is because Mr. Correa made some rather choice comments about the conflict between Krasnovia and Pridelandia. The Krasnovians, who like waffles, and the Pridelandians, who like sandwiches. Sure. 
And Mr. Korea comes down in support of the Krasnovians. And because of his comments in support of the Krasnovians against the evil, vicious Pradlandians, he got suspended for, three, for, for a day, for 24 hours. Then, when his suspension was up, he got suspended for three days for the same kind of thing. And we're not sure if his suspension is up yet, but there are people who suspect that the next thing that's going to happen will be his suspension for seven days and then a suspension for 30 days and then he'll get a permanent ban off of Facebook. <clears throat> now, the timing of this is such that it has people wondering if he's been directly targeted because he is a nominee for the Dragon Awards, which, coincidentally enough, is coming up here in the next couple of weeks at, at Dragon Con and is a direct result of all of the kerfuffle from the last four or five years, the Yugos. So there are people that are thinking that uh, China Mike Glyer over at File 770 or somebody in his camp has targeted Larry. And so a number of authors have gone over to the MeWe platform, which is sort of a decentralized... Facebook that doesn't track you type sure. site. Okay. So there's a number of them over there. So I figured, okay, we're, we're, we're doing the various different social media platforms, and my thinking is in the next couple of years, Facebook is going to either implode or it's going to get pulled, pulled apart by forces beyond its own control. So in order to hedge our bets... I've put us, I've put Sci-Fi for Me on a number of different social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Just you know, just spread it out. We're on Twitter, dumpster fire that it is. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Pinterest. So I went ahead and put us on Minds, and I put us on Gab, and I went ahead and did. Uh, we're on BitChute uh, as an alternative to YouTube and and Twitch. Um, but then yesterday I went ahead and I said, okay, well, we'll just do the MeWe account just to have it in case something happens because in this day and age and you know I've talked about it if we don't pick a side somebody's going to pick a side for us and they're going to accuse us of whatever and then there we are so so last night on pineapple mm -hmm. I I set up the stream ahead of time and I you know chilling with pineapple and I put our our subject was me we and other social media and I didn't say anything else. I mean, that sure. was all there was to it. And the general gist of the of the show was, you know, this is what's been going on. Here's why we're doing this. We're going to jump over here. And then, uh, then we got into Star Wars. The topic just kind of went this way. And we got to talking about Star Wars. We got to talk about Salacious Crumbs and the fact that McKenna has been out. And we taped a new one. By the way, it's up live. Uh, you got to put up with me hosting this one time. Um, but as soon as the show was done, I'm going back in to check the check the feed to see how many people we had to actually watch. Sure. And it said demonetized, not suitable for most advertisers. Before we were, I mean, we weren't even done processing yet, and they decided that we were not suitable for advertisers. What the heck? So, you know, request a review. I always request a review. Sure, of course. Uh -huh. um, 
GJ videos. Thank you. I appreciate that. He says we well, did a good job on crumbs. So I there appreciate that. That's 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 gratifying. I'm not as I'm not as pretty as McKenna. I know, but she'll be back. I promise. So um, so anyway, so that happened, and you know then of course the Hugo Awards happened over the weekend, mm-hmm. and as has been pointed out. All of the winners in the major categories for the third year in a row are female. No white men allowed. None of them, none of them have, I mean, if they ever even got a nomination. Now, statistically speaking, this is... Probably not something that you would expect. I will throw out a qualifier there with statistically speaking. Is that statistically speaking, um, there have been a lot more male winners, white males or otherwise. Yes, and the complaint is historically, that science fiction is dominated by men, evil, well, terrible white men. Well, and so uh, not that's very the many, complaint. not very many people are actually complaining that. What they are complaining about uh. is <laughs> come what, on, Tim. No, not statistically speaking, not many people are. Winner, However, winner of the John W. Campbell Best Author Award. Her speech started out. John W. Campbell was a fascist. Well, I mean, everyone's allowed. You're allowed to have your opinion, whether you like it. Or not? No, I know, and I and I'm and, not saying they can't have these opinions, and, even if they're wrong. But they're entitled to their opinions. And um, it's going to happen one way or the other. I mean, you're going to get you're going to have years and three years. That's a good. That's 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 something to to consider. But you're going to have years where it's going to be all women. There's a lot more women writers now who are breaking into the field. There's a lot more of that happening. And a lot of those books that are that are getting a lot of praise are, and I'm not not all of them. We've had this discussion before, but there are a lot of really highly praised books that are getting awards that happen to be written by women. Okay, let's qualify this: highly praised by whom, for what? Well, because these all, Hugo awards that, are that, not <laughs> being decided based on the but, quality of the craft. But that, but quality is a subjective thing too. It's not as, quality of the craft. These are virtue signaling awards now that are groupthink, wrongthink not allowed. Here, Jeanette Ng, John W. Campbell, for whom this award was named, was a fascist. Through his editorial control of amazing stories, he is responsible for setting a tone of science fiction that still haunts the genre to this day. Sterile, male, white, Exulting in the ambitions of imperialists and colonizers, settlers and industrialists. I mean, really, if you feel that way, Jeanette, why did you even accept the award? Why even accept the nomination for an award if you're going to sit there and, and do that? I mean, of all the ungrateful, uncivil, unprofessional things to do when accepting an award is to do that. I mean that that's crap behavior. I not If you don't want the award, don't accept the award. Don't even accept the nomination. Don't go. But that's not what these awards are about. 
These awards are about political posturing and groupthink. Ingsoc. If you don't accept the way we, we want you to think, you're getting no award. That's what happened in 2015. This is not the topic we were discussing, and I don't want to have this conversation. Well, because quite frankly, I haven't read any of the books or watched the awards or listed any of this stuff. And quite frankly, Jason, I don't appreciate feeling a little bit ambushed right now with this. No, but this is the this is uncool between you and me. This is the lead in because you wanted to talk about one of the particular winners of the Hugo's. I want so we can talk about one of the particular winners of the Hugo's because they deal in fan fiction. No, I wanted to talk about fan fiction because one of the the larger fan fiction sites won a Hugo. It's a relevant thing. Well, this but is all part of the. This, I think it's all relevant. Except you and to the I did not talk about this beforehand, and quite frankly, it gives you a little platform to rant, and I don't have a way to respond to you because I haven't paid attention to the Hugos this year. I've been busy with other things. Okay, so my rant's over. And quite frankly, the sad puppies and the sick puppies are a bunch of whiny little bitches, as far as I'm concerned. That well, said, the sick puppies took it a little too far. I will grant that. That said, that's my Rab- opinion. Rabid puppies. You are allowed to disagree. I am perfectly happy with you disagreeing with me. That's awesome. You're allowed to have different opinions. <laughs> that said, the topic. Huh. Um, so, our, yes, what, what, however you feel about this award or that award or the Hugos or anything like that, yep. what was interesting about the Hugos this year in the category is that the fan fiction site, an archive of our own, mm-hmm. won. Which is interesting because fan fiction has been around for a very long time. Yeah, it has. And fan fiction is, in fact, it's older than a lot of people realize. There's a very good argument that Paradise Lost is fan fiction. There's a very good argument that Shakespeare, a good chunk of Shakespeare, is fan fiction because when playwrights at the time would rip each other off all the time. Oh, sure. And they would take somebody else's story and write a new version of it, which is what fan fiction is. And they would often use the same characters. Yeah. Now, some of this had to do with the fact that uh, the way that copyright law was dealt with, the way the uh, people considered the the ownership of stories, period, who who you know who does the story belong to? Mm-hmm. The way we look at it now, very much the whole monetized, we own it for X number of years, et cetera, et cetera, is a relatively recent invention. Like within the last what, hundred, hundred and fifty years? Something like really that. Like yeah. That? So in terms of people telling stories, fan fiction has been around for a very, very long time. In terms of genre fan fiction, um, it's actually been around for a long time as well. Uh, Something called uh, filing the serial numbers off. <laughs> um, Solar Ponds by August Derleth uh-huh. was a pastiche. Pastiche, by the way, is another word for uh, fan fiction. Tropes. <laughs> tropes. Painting with tropes. Yeah, and, and yeah. You, 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 so Solar Ponds was, of course, a, a everything but the name Sherlock Holmes. And the stories were everything but the name Sherlock Holmes stories. Yeah. They were actually written in the style of Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, but Solar Ponds, and I can't remember what the name of the doctor uh, was, and, and uh, 220, 20-something-something Parade Street, and it was just all, I mean, it was, this is not a new thing. Now, fan yeah. fiction 
has become a very big thing. And um, was it Amazon, I think, Mm -hmm. did a thing here a few years ago, and I don't know if they're still doing it now or not. I don't know. um, Where they licensed particular story universes, I think, was... Was Supernatural one of them? Uh, I think Buff- so. There's some, there's, there's there's some very there's big... There's three or four of them that were pr- fairly large, recognizable names that you could write the fan fiction and they would be they would be published by Amazon. It was print-on-demand mm-hmm. print mostly, I think. Yeah. And you could do these things. But the big question on those became who owned the copyright? Right. And who would be able to derive any benefit after that story was out in the wild... Because let's say, let's say you're writing fan fiction for Supernatural, mm-hmm. and you come up with a brand new demon villain character for them to fight, and sure. the people who own Supernatural like take a liking to that character. Well, who owns the character? Right. You're you're ceding all of the rights to anything that you come up with to the copyright owner, and there was a lot of there was a, there was a big dust up about that for a while, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I don't know how how that got resolved. If it did, but I you're right. Fan, fan fiction, you know, back in the '60s and '70s. Well, even even back earlier than that, you know, the the fanzines mm-hmm. that people would, uh, you know, print with their mimeograph machines with their purple ink in their in their garage, and they they print it off and, and staple them, and they'd mail them to the people who'd subscribe to them. And a lot of those were fan fiction mm-hmm. scenes, or they at least had some fan fiction in them. Right. Um, and we've seen with YouTube and, and the internet and all of that, we've seen a lot of fan fiction, especially with Star Trek. Star Wars even embraced the fan fiction giving awards right. for them because, at, and that's to me, that. I think was the better way to handle fan films was to give it an official forum and say, okay, you guys are going to do this anyway. Let's at least put a few controls on it so it doesn't get completely out of hand. Whereas Star Trek and, and Marvel and any of the rest of those, they just kind of, they just kind of turned a blind eye Mm -hmm. until Alec Peters did what he did with Axanar and, and blew the whole thing up as far as the Star Trek fan films go. And so now, you know, Cully's out, McDonough's out, mm-hmm. you know, all of the guys that were doing, you know, top shelf quality work yeah. can't anymore or mm-hmm. just won't because right. Peter's ruined it for everybody. Yeah. So, and, and the shame of it was, of course, is that Axanar had so much promise. Had potential. It had a lot of potential. Um, but you end up with this interesting thing happening with the fan fiction of the 60s and 70s. We had Star Trek fan fiction. Yeah. And along the way, because fan fiction is written by people who don't have any editorial controls or filters, fan fiction turned into literally a place where anything could happen. And And anything did. And this, for good and for ill... There were... that's, That's where... 
I don't think this is a topic that you want to get into with slash fiction. But so, well, um, I think, well, to some degree, you kind of have to in 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 a very minor it, degree. It's a subcategory. It's a it's right. a yeah yeah. And and to Not, put things to put things in perspective, another subcategory that's related to slash fiction is something called smut. And that's actually, I mean, it's it's a it's a category yeah. of, and and it's literally what you know, yeah, it is what the word means. And slash fiction is basically a. Uh, uh, it's the early. It's the early versions of shipping. Yeah, and and but it was it was often geared a lot towards homosexual pairings, right? Yeah. So it was Kirk and Spock, right? Right. Um, and and that certainly persisted to the day. But there's there's so many different subcategories of fan fiction. You, if a place like Archive of Our Own, which I've actually I go to from time to time um, myself, because I. One of the things that I like about fan fiction, when it's done well, and of course, mm. fan fiction's like any other kind of fiction. On this end, you have... Why? Why did you... Do yeah. you know how to write? Yeah. Have you... Do you know what writing is? Twilight. And that, well, we'll talk about Twilight in a minute, because Twilight is fan fiction. And on this end, you have... That is an amazing reproduction of the voice and the tone yeah. and everything about the author. These are people who can mimic. And and you read this and you go, oh, and, and not only that, can they mimic it, but they're a good writer. They plot well. They dialogue. Everything is there. And you're still going, I saw... Give this person, you know, the rights to I this book. I saw a comment thread one time, and I think it was over on io9, back when... Um, Robert, I see your question about Axanar. I'll, I'll we'll circle back to it. Just hang on, I'll put a pin in it. I'm, I'll, let me before I lose this thought. Back when they were talking about George Miller's Justice League, right? Yeah, there was a photograph that circulated of an actress in a Wonder Woman costume, mm -hmm. but she wasn't the actress that was in George Miller's film. She was the actress that was in the porn parody, right? And the discussion pretty much centered around the fact that these costumes in this version were pretty spot on yeah. to the point where they were even better than what we got in, say, David E. Kelly's Wonder Woman pilot right, with, yeah. uh, with Adrian Palicki. Well, that discussion kind of th threaded through and somebody mentioned a next generation porn mm -hmm. project that they the the basic the basic idea of it was that if you pulled all of the x-rated scenes out mm -hmm. and just kept the the gpg rated stuff right it was a fairly good next generation fan film that just happened to have lots and lots of sex. porn inserted right. into it and and I, I i thought to myself okay how how scary is it? How sad is it that we've got to the point where those kind of projects, that kind of fan fiction is on par or maybe sometimes better than what we get from the official productions? Well, it tells uh, you that it tells you that the people who make those films um, know how to target an audience. Yeah. And what, speaking of, you know, basically fan fiction and sex, that's what uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is. It yes. started off as Twilight fan fiction. It legitimately did. And it's and it it became something else. Mm -hmm. And it started off with 
Twilight fan fiction, then we file off the serial numbers, right. and then we keep going. And quite frankly, as someone who read the advanced reading copy of the first Twilight novel when it arrived at my bookstore a million years ago. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, well, I sat there and I went, what is this? And I read it and I went, oh, well, this is terrible. It will never sell. Little did you Little know. Little did I know. Yeah. And and for all the fans of Twilight out there, hey, you know what? I'm glad you. I'm I'm glad it was a successful book series, and I'm glad it was a successful movie series. And I hope you enjoyed it. It's not for me. No. Fifty Shades of Grey is even less for me because it's legitimately god awful writing. Yeah. Uh, I, I have, have no, not read better it. Music. Well, <laughs> better music is one thing, but the writing is anyway. Again, if you're a fan of the Fifty Shades well, of Grey books. Look, Dakota Johnson, Dakota Johnson, I think, is probably a little bit more attractive than Selva Blair in those films. So, well, who? who no, wait, no, was it? It wasn't Selva Blair. Blair. Who was it? Uh, who Kristen, was it in Twilight? Uh, Kristen, Stewart. Kristen. Kristen Stewart. Yeah, I'm sorry. See, I can't, I mean, I can't tell apart. He doesn't even know who's. That, I don't even know who's. That's okay. You don't need to. And I only know that Dakota Johnson was in those because she's Don Johnson's daughter. I thought. Sonny Crockett's daughter is doing Fifty Shades of Grey? What is this? Uh, anyway, so hey, so Robert, to answer your question about Axanar, what happened was you had this this project, and you can still find the short film Prelude to Axanar. It was uh, a, a story that Alec Peters had come up with that incorporates the history of Garth of Izar and Axanar was supposed to tell, if you go back to Whom Gods Destroy, which is the episode of Star Trek that introduced Garth, they mention he's a hero of the Battle of Axanar. It's just a throwaway line. But this film was going to tell that story about that battle. And, and if you're it, a Star Trek fan, why this matters is because Garth was a hero of James T. Kirk's. Yeah. And in some, deg some degree, he was almost a proto-Kirk in in I mean he was the same kind of personality and he was the kind of person that you yeah. know there were stories there and of course Star Trek goes a lot of Star Trek novels and a lot of certainly fan fiction have dived into the broader Star Trek universe and so it's a story that was there to be told and this and this short film was really well done I yeah, mean it is good. one of I, you know for all for all of the negative blowback that it's gotten that Peters has gotten this is one of the most well-crafted, well-produced short films mm -hmm. in the Star Trek fan film. And people thing. were excited. Yeah, about everybody it. was looking They're at it. Really thinking, excited we want about more. It. And Gary Graham was involved, and Tony Todd was involved, yeah. and J.G. Hertzler was there, and you had all of these, all of these people on both sides of the camera that were Star Trek alumni. Right, and I mean, just genre. If you're a genre fan, you know these faces. Yeah, and he was going to use this to crowdfund a feature film that would tell the Battle of mm -hmm. Axanar. And we got one scene set on Vulcan with Gary Graham playing his Enterprise character, right. mm -hmm. which that became a thing later. And as this grew, or as, as Khan would say, grew, it became this big, massive monster of a thing. And then we started hearing rumblings about problems and issues. And 
the script was done, but then the script wasn't done. And then people started dropping out of the project. Tony Todd didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I think the guy who was going to direct the feature dropped out. All of this stuff. And then we started hearing that uh, uh, Alec Peters was this egomaniacal just control freak that and I, I don't I don't know how much of that is is accurate but this is what we were hearing right and suddenly the money wasn't going to the project wasn't going into the project the money was being used to build a new studio soundstage mm-hmm. studio in Los Angeles and people started to wonder, well, why is he doing that? He's in Los Angeles. Why doesn't he just rent a studio that already exists? Why has he got to right. build one? And then suddenly we started hearing about Aerie Studios. We started hearing about, well, Axonar Studios to start with, mm-hmm. but then it became Aries Studios. And then Axonar started showing up at a lot of these conventions with Star Trek Axonar merchandise. And that's when the that's when the tripwire hit. Right. That's when CBS stepped in and said, "Hang on, you can't do that." Right. And the word is that Alec Peters had a meeting with CBS people in Las Vegas. During the during the big Star Trek Las Vegas convention, one I think two or three years, three or four years ago. Well, it's been a while now. It's been a while. Yeah, we actually have we actually have at least a couple of episodes where we talk about this in depth. We'll oh yeah, the, yeah, the links to those. And the gist of that meeting, according to Peters, was here's what I'm going to do, and they didn't tell him no, so he's doing it. Well. That's not how it that's works. That's not exactly how it works. And that's not what CBS people came back later and said, right. no, look, we're not going to tell you what you can or cannot do with your project because then that trips up all sorts of new legal things as far as is CBS involved or not. Mm-hmm. And we're not. And we can't be. Legally, we are required to not be. Right. But they told him probably not a good idea to do what you're trying to do mm-hmm. and when they released the clip of Gary Graham in his role as the Vulcan ambassador from Enterprise that was even more of a pile on right. and CBS ended up finally uh, uh, filing a lawsuit for copyright violation against the Axonar project mm-hmm. and the result of which there was a big settlement Peters had to pay a lot of money. He claimed victory. I don't know why. <laughs> he ended up moving to Atlanta. Because that's what you do. <laughs> and there's still not an XNR project. Yeah. And he's taking this money and he's still paying money and, and, and actually still trying, begging for money, uh, trying to continue with Patreon to keep the money coming in so he can pay the rental fee on the place where he's at now, building Aries Studios. Right. Well, what we all figured out was that Peters wasn't looking to make a Star Trek film. I mean, he was bragging about the fact that he was going to make a Star Trek feature film that would be better than J.J. Abrams' Star Trek feature film. But what ended up coming out that a lot of people started to realize was that Peters was using the Star Trek brand mm-hmm. 
to raise money to build his own studio. It's basically he's basically a grifter, and taking advantage of an established intellectual property in order to line his own pockets and do his own thing. Now he's still out there, and he still gives regular up you know, semi regular updates from the set of the Aries. Mm. I mean that's still there, but we he hasn't shot anything. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's no project, and all of this money is. I mean, he raised what a million and a half. It was a feature. It, it was a it was a good sized budget. He had a lot of money that he could put into this thing, and nothing. Yeah, no project at all. But the but the outcome of that lawsuit that CBS had to bring against Axanar. I mean, they were essentially forced into it. Their hand was forced. Right. They have, to, they have to protect the rights of the material that they own. That's business. sure. And to read the 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 discovery of all of the different claims that CBS had to make. Yeah. You know, the design of the Vulcan pointed ear. I mean, to that nth degree of all of these different things that Axonar was using, that was a, vi- a technical violation of copyright. And so what resulted was that CBS had to lay down a, a new set of ground rules mm-hmm. for fan films. And they said, okay, you can still make fan films, but they can only be 15 minutes at a time, mm-hmm. and they can't be part of a series. You can do a part one and a part two for a 30-minute thing, but that's it. If you do anything... Else, it has to be a different combination of characters. It has to be a different story. So you see some of these fan films are are still working within those guidelines. Right. But everybody sits there and says, Alec Peters ruined it for everybody. Yeah, because you look at things like Phase 2 and... What Star, Trek the, Star Trek Continues. Star Trek Continues. These were, however you feel about somebody else playing and you saw it with the J.J. Abrams films somebody else playing your the part of your the character that you love yeah. right um, these were made with a lot of care they were made with a lot of uh, desire to be faithful to the tone to the characters themselves who whether the skill of the actors or the quality of the writing or there was always an intent that was obvious yeah. you could well, tell that these people loved the subject matter Star Trek Continues had Jimmy Doohan's son, Chris, playing right. Scotty. Um, and, and some of these things have had George Takei, Walter uh, Koenig. Denise um, Crosby. Uh, Nichelle Nichols was in one. Nichelle Nichols she? was in so one. So these, these, are, these are things that, that the, the characters themselves, the actors who played these, these beloved characters, would actually be involved with because they could tell the people behind them cared about the project and yeah. they, were, they weren't trying to take advantage of it. And a lot of these things lost money hand over fist. Oh, the, of the, all of them lost yeah. money. Yeah, I mean, well, they were just... Phase two got Lou Ferrigno. To play oh, yeah. on Orion Slave Master. But, I mean, I mean they got, everybody they were, got to play. It was fun. You know, they didn't own. They didn't own the content, right? Because they couldn't, and they knew it. So they, these and are they things made, made sure of love. that everybody knew they knew it, right? So, unfortunately, when when you don't file the numbers off, <laughs> yeah. If you play in the sandbox of the world that you love, and you call it that, you know you run into the things like this. Now, in the written form, and things like Archive of Our Own is print. Okay, it's text, yep. right? It's, it's and all... And I actually called up that website, so it's here. Um, and now, it's, like I said, I, I, I go there from time to time. There's a, I have a few personal fandoms, personal 
you know, things that I really, really love that yeah. aren't being made anymore. Okay. The website archiveofourown.org. Yes. Fan created, fan run, non profit, non commercial archive for transformative fan works like fan fiction, fan art, fan videos, and podfic. Podfic. What's podfic? Uh, Podcast I, th- I think pod- audio versions Maybe? of the. I okay. think. So right. here's the here's the thing you need to know about a, sh- uh, a site like. Okay. Oh, uh, let me let me let me back up. Um, what I go there for is um, Farscape fan fiction, because as much as I want it, <laughs> I, I I have given up hope it's, that it's, I'm going to get the, the the. It may still be a thing. I know. You know. I'd, I'd love to see it. I you know, give me give me uh, Ben Browder as as Crichton again. I'll be a happy guy. Um, but I don't can't count on that, right? Yeah. And but there are people out there who have written really good stories set in the Farscape universe. They've written some really bad ones too. Reader beware, okay? Yeah. Fan uh, sites like Archive of, of Our Own and other fan there's fan fiction. I think it's fanfiction.net. I think it's, there's other fan fiction sites out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, quality is not guaranteed, okay? No. They accept everybody. They also allow you to make comments on stories, so you can get instant feedback if your story is not particularly good, or you've managed to appall Which the fandom. Might or might not be a good thing. But one of the interesting things about the fan fiction community mm. is that they tend to be fairly supportive in terms of how they give you that criticism. Not everybody, of course, sure. but there's a trend, and it would be nice if it continues. We've seen, we've met the internet though, yeah, um, yeah. and that is basically. Okay, you need to work on your dialogue. You need to work on your plotting, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. as opposed to, my God, you suck. That's, yeah. <laughs> or worse, right? Um, I mean, I've gotten some of that, that kind of feedback before. Oh, so have I. But you, it's nicer when it's in a more of a supportive tone. Sure. A, more of a help you develop as a writer tone. Yes. Right? That's always preferable. Anyway, um, so I, I go there for things like uh, Farscape, which there's not a lot there, and there's not, it's a, kind of, when when your particular show has not been around for a while, uh, it kind of does the, it kind of peters off. Well, this says there are thirty three thousand five hundred and sixty fandoms. Oh, well, on yeah. this site, five million ninety five thousand works at the moment. Yeah, um, not all of manga. not all of them are great. Some of them are. Well, and you know, we talk about Star Trek fan fan fiction. There was, uh, and I even submitted to this, mm-hmm. um, the Strange New Worlds competition. Right. Yeah. And what this was uh, before the internet, um, and I think it wasn't that long ago. It was it, <laughs> who who was it that uh, that that edited those it was dean dean wesley smith i think was was the editor oh, gosh, and john remember. john ordover over at pocket books they put this idea together mm-hmm. um and basically what it was was a talent search more than anything else right. it was okay you guys are writing fan fiction why don't we do this let's have a competition and you send in your fan fiction and we'll publish a collection so strange new worlds and i think they ended up doing like 10 of them right Ten volumes, and people got their Star Trek stories published, mm-hmm. and they got paid for it. So now right. you're not just a fan fiction writer; you're a professional writer. That's a sale. Right. So if you want to pursue this as a career, now you've got your first sale. So if you go to somebody like 
the science fiction and fan, you know science fiction and fantasy writers of America or you know whatever the other professional writing organizations mm -hmm. you have to have a certain number of sales done finished published right. before you qualify well that I, I submitted one and um, didn't get in but okay fine uh, but that's how Dayton Ward right got into writing Star Trek books. He was published and then they you know somebody somebody got the idea and teamed him up with Kevin Dilmore who had been writing stuff over for one of the Trek magazines I think mm -hmm. that Titan had been putting together. And they're both here in Kansas City so they say hey, well you guys are, right. you know, why don't you guys write something together? And so they've they've written a number of books together. Mm -hmm. Dayton of course has has written uh, a number of Star Trek uh, novels on his own. Right. Um, all of the Vanguard series right, yeah. uh, was one of his things that he came up with with Kevin and with David Mack. And if you look at the covers of those, you want to talk about fan art, the covers of those harken back to the old James Blish right, adaptations. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, to look at those books and see, yeah, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. That's yeah, that's ex this this would fit right in there mm -hmm. with these, and and there was a couple of others that were just spot on with the artwork. Right. Um, and we actually when when we had we had a, a live uh, radio broadcast at one point. It was called Live from the Bunker, and you can still find it. Um, we did an interview with. David and and Dayton and right. Kevin and the artist and I for the life of me I can't remember his name at the moment I apologize, but we talked for a good half hour forty five minutes right. about yeah. this project, but you know Neil Gaiman has even said, you know when he wrote for Doctor Who mm -hmm. that he was this it's he's writing fan fiction right. you get to play in that sandbox mm -hmm. whether it's professional or just on your own. Right. If you're a fan, and, and I've seen Dayton make this point too, anybody who is actively pursuing work in that story universe, I want to write for Star Trek, right. a, a novel, or I want to write it for the series or whatever, you're a fan. Mm -hmm. And so if you're professionally writing for that, it still counts as fan fiction. It's just now that this fan fiction is canon. Well, and, and the thing is, is that until you publish that first book, until it's bought, it's literally fan fiction. The definition of, you know, it's, it's just a fan writing a story. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the fan fiction has gotten a bit of a bad reputation over time. Because the, because the stuff that, that gets the publicity is the stuff like Twilight. Yeah. Is the stuff like the slash fiction or the Hurt Comfort, which is a curious little subgenre. I mean, there's all kinds of genres in this stuff. And, and another, another uh, thing that I go to places like Archive of Their Own for is Discworld stories. Oh, okay. Terry Pratchett, yeah. Terry Pratchett is never coming back. No. We are never getting an, and, and his daughter, who owns the right, who controls the Discworld franchise, um, there is supposedly a, going to be a British TV series based on the Unkmore Pork uh, city guard, which would be wonderful if it happens, but again, until such things do, fans are writing these stories, right? right? And there is a huge range of what's out there, say for Discworld, having, and a lot of times, you know, I'm like, huh, I'll read the first paragraph and go, nope, <laughs> or I'll read the first paragraph and go, 
Hmm? I would imagine <laughs> that right now that there are a lot of people who are rewriting season eight of Game of Thrones over there. Well, you know what? I guarantee you that if you go to these places, you'll find somebody who's rewritten the last Star Wars movie. And Speaking of which, Robert says he'll hit up the site. He he hits up the site for the Grand Admiral Thrawn fan fiction. Oh, cool! Yeah, um, because uh, that's that's something that he enjoys. Uh, he says revisiting the Thrawn novels reminds him of fourteen-year-old me loving sci-fi. Oh yeah. So, and I actually just finished the first of. Um, Timothy Zahn's new Thrawn trilogy. There's so a Thrawn, Thrawn comic book right now. I think there's. I think one of the. I can't remember who's putting it out, but I think. I think it's probably, got, Well, it's Mar- It's got to be Marvel. Oh, but that's yeah, right. It is Marvel these days. But yeah. Um, there's um, a. I think there's a. Yeah, I think I want to say it's like a. Um, almost like a Thrawn origin story, kind of thing. If I if I remember right, I, well, I haven't read it. Well, they're so doing um, the the trilogy. Prelude to Thrawn. There's a new. There's a new. Uh, Timothy Zahn did a new trilogy that's in canon. Right. Yeah. Um, he's got five Thrawn books in the old EU, mm-hmm. which are now. You know, but Thrawn was brought up. into canon. Brought into canon with Rebels, right. and um, so now there's three books, and I just read the first. It's called Thrawn. It's when. Uh, it basically picks up when the Empire finds him mm. and he rises up through the ranks and I think at the end of the book he's an admiral. So it's the the beginning of his career with the Empire. Sure. And then uh, there's two more books. The, the last one just came out. I think it's called Thrawn Betrayal, which just came out. I think the second one's called Thrawn Allegiance. Mm. I'm not sure. But those three books are out. They're official canon now. Um but uh, you, you mentioned you mentioned the Discworld stuff, and you know there's there's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. People do stuff with that. Um, but then there was uh, um, I can't even remember what it was that I that I thought of because you had said you'd mentioned Discworld, right? And it got me thinking about something else, and I know I don't remember what it was. Well, I will, while, while you're pondering that, I do want to say ponder. this: if you are if you are looking, oh, I remember. Oh, go ahead. The Wald Newton universe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The yeah. Wald. Well, the Wald Newton universe is fan fiction on a mass. It's a shared yeah. universe fan fiction mass scale thing, because it's essentially take all these amazing characters in fiction and, and connect connect them. them. It's it is it, it is it pre- a deep deep and deep it preceded um, it preceded uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the comic book, yeah. the Alan Moore comic. Uh, which has come to an end, by the way. He has finished the yes. entire run. He's done. Uh, he's done. And uh, but it's if you. Um, and the word is he's officially retired from comic books. This will not stop him from getting out complaining there, complaining about comic complaining books, about with some justification. Yeah. He's, he he bears some guilt for he bears well yeah I don't know if he bears guilt he bears some blame, justified or not, for the a lot of writing trends in comics. However, he has some legitimate complaints. I will give him some of his complaints for the adaptations of his work. Mm. Uh, because Although, he's got a great track record of having terrible movies made of some really great stories he's written. See, I didn't think Watchmen was all that bad an adaptation. I enjoyed Watchmen. I thought, however... Given what the material was, oh, yeah. and given the, the fact that back then... 
you're not going to make a three and a half hour movie or get a eight to 10 episode season to yeah, do the whole exactly. thing. You're not going to be able to do that, which so, would have been amazing. So all of the black ship stuff is gone, is gone. And, and the octopus, all of these things right. that were in this thing, the whole monster Island thing, which added depth to the story. If you've, were able to follow what was going right, on yeah. because it was very, very subtle on the back peripheral mm-hmm. edges of the story of what was happening. He was laying well, these was little trying, bits and pieces into the thing. He was trying to tell a new kind of comic book story. And what's interesting is that if, um, you know, the other thing he wanted to do was Twilight of the Superheroes, hmm. which was take... Uh, well, basically, it's, it's an after-the-apocalypse, essentially... With the superheroes, and they've uh, the majority of the superheroes have become supervillains, um, which in, Alex Ross kind of did and with Mark Wade on Kingdom Come. Right. So there's there's all these different, you know, things that that Moore has done some amazing stuff with, and I yeah I frankly I I rather enjoyed the Watchmen movie. I thought for what it was, for what the it it was a little too pretty, mm. in the sense that that. The, wor- the world that, that Dave Gibbons and, and, and Alan Gibbons, the uh, uh, artist, artist, created needed to be a little grittier um, in terms of the heroes. You didn't were, think that movie was gritty enough? The heroes were too pretty. Osmondius should be pretty. Um, uh, the, I can't remember the name of the, the female superhero. Silk Spectre. Thank you. She should be pretty. But Night Owl? He wasn't pretty. He needed to be chubby. He was. No. He had a he had a beer gut. He was not anywhere near as chubby as he was in the comic. Well, There's not some, as much as it was in the comic. The, but again, he was the, still, he's a little too. Again, they, he was still out of shape. There were certain things that they 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 Hollywoodized certain things, which is which is what Hollywood does. It's fine. Do. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it, it costs them a little bit. I again, I I act, I own the film. I bought it on purpose. Well, and you could I enjoy it. You could make the argument that the Watchmen movie. Is Zack Snyder's fan film of the Watchmen comic book to some degree, which is Alan Moore's fan fiction of the Charlton comics right. characters. Oh I mean, yeah, if you really got, you're going to oh, go yeah, back. Exactly, sure. Well, and, 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 and even more so for Alan Moore because at that point nobody was really using those characters. Yeah, and and also and, he was writing, but he was he was also writing characters that had the numbers, the serial numbers filed off because. DC told him to file them all. Exactly. So I mean, there's the the stuff. The stuff intertwines a lot more. It makes me wonder what kind of reception Watchmen would have gotten if Moore had been allowed to use the Charlton characters. So Captain Adam, Blue Beetle, the Question. I think that's a really good. That, that is a very interesting thing to consider because. By making them more, by making them brand new characters that nobody had a reference to, mm-hmm. it gave him the freedom to do things to those characters that he would, because you don't want necessarily to do this, even even when the world of Elseworlds and, and What If and all this sort of stuff, right. comic companies don't want to basically make a character unusable in the future. Sometimes, well, most of the time. Sometimes they <laughs> yeah, do. I was about to say. Sometimes they, sometimes they just blow things up. Um, but for sometimes no good reason. Uh, but 
I, I, it, there's a certain freedom there. And I think coming back to the, the folks who are playing in the world of fan fiction, one of the negatives of fan fiction is that people have all this freedom to do whatever they want with the characters. Yeah. And sometimes you can sit there and go, um, okay, but this is now a character in name only because that character would never do that. Yeah, there is a series of Marvel parodies that... Who did it? I don't think it was... I don't think it was... Um, oh, what's the one that you look at a lot? The Cracked? Cracked. I don't remember if it was them or if it was Nerdist. That did... There's like four or five of them. And they're the Marvel characters and they're wearing the costumes or, or the DC characters in some cases they do they did both and this is a case where you know that the publisher turns a blind eye to these things because generally speaking if you're doing something where their characters and people like it that's free marketing for their characters and people right, buy sure. the books but in this particular case these films these characters were so foul mouthed and crude, and the humor was just gutter trash humor. And I thought, why in the world would that, Marvel let anything like this stand? I don't recall that being a cracked series, but I don't. It may not have been cracked. Not, it might have been Nerdist. But then you look at something like, um, uh, what is it? The com what was the comic magazine? Comic book scene? No, wait. It was the one. It had a, a twist, twisted Mega Theater. I don't have a Twisted Mego Theater was in one of the comic book magazines, and I'm drawing a blank here on which one it was. And it was basically uh, Tony Stark as an alcoholic who kept throwing up inside his suit. Um, uh, Spider Man just wanted to be left alone and getting dragged, kicking and screaming into these ridiculous plots. Right. Um, and it was, and usually one of these beloved heroes of ours would end up getting killed at some point and be like, and they'd be back the next strip. There would be no explanation. It was just come. It was complete mockery, and they used the Mako figures, and so it was actually photographs. So it's like it was almost like uh, Robot Chicken. Yeah, uh -huh. it, it yeah. was it was the proto Robot Chicken to some degree, and some of it is wickedly funny. Robert suggests maybe it was in Wizard Magazine. Uh, probably. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It, it, I think it must have been, but so, and it was just complete, complete and utter just mockery of superheroes and comic books and all the things and it was inside this comic book magazine so it's like but it was obvious parody oh exactly and, oh, and, yes. and that but see back then you wouldn't have the R-rated X-rated parody stuff I mean you could go to a you could go to a certain line but you couldn't cross it because the, you know morals and decency standards being what they were in publishing you could only do this much well, this stuff and was coming out in the '80s, so a lot of this stuff was was a lot more freeform. And a lot of you mentioned you mentioned the the you know the, the Star Trek porn. They were rolling that stuff out in the '80s too. Yeah, but they um, weren't officially publishing that. No, no, they, they I weren't. I mean, that was underground stuff. That oh, was yeah. really is just you know print it in your garage and mail it out. Yeah, and what's interesting is that again, you know, there's uh, places like Archive of Their Own label this stuff. Okay, it is it is there. And if it happens to be there's there's a there's a button you have to push if you want to go beyond this point. Yeah. And if this is labeled, this is like you know adult material. You have to sit there and go, 
Okay. And so the first screen you get when you click on that link to that story is, here's what's in it. Okay? And it'll tell you what characters, it'll tell you what kind of story it is, it'll tell you... So, so if you are interested in going to one of these places, what I would say to you um, is make sure that they do that. They label it. Yeah. Because if you don't want to read your favorite characters in slash fiction, or you don't want to read your favorite characters um, crossing over with a with another genre that you were like, I just have no desire to watch Star Trek cross over with Supernatural. Or the okay. X-Men. That actually happened. Twice. No, more than twice. Yeah, more, more than twice. twice. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but you know, you can you can find some really fascinating pairings. You can sit there. There's a, I believe there's a Sherlock Holmes uh, Benedict Cumberbatch Khan crossover, I which have. my brain just sort of hurts with. Yeah, but somewhere over here in my Star Trek pile, I have a book called The Doctor and the Enterprise. Oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And none of the characters are mentioned by name. Right, You yeah. have the Doctor, mm -hmm. who is very obviously Tom Baker's fourth Doctor. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Captain, right. the Scientist, right. the Physician, uh -huh. the Engineer. Mm -hmm. and, and that's actually kind of what kind of fueled our end credits on Tartar Sauce. Right. We have the communicators, which is you guys, and then we have the engineer, which is me, putting all of it together in post-production. But that actually is a fairly clever mashup between Star oh, Trek yeah. and Doctor Who. And it's some fun. Of, and some of this stuff is very, very clever and surprisingly good. And that's, again, here's here's the thing about fan fiction you, do, you need to remember. If you are interested, and there's no reason, you don't have to be interested in going to archive of our own or any other fan fiction sites out there. If you don't like this stuff, that's fine. But if you are, um, and you, statistically speaking, there's a lot of great stuff. There's a lot of, an even more, a lot of not, not so, so great, great stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, is that everybody's allowed to play. And, which is cool. It's completely open. And these sure. are, and these are moderated by the fans themselves, an archive of their own, one of the things, one of the reasons it, it gets a lot of praise in the fan community is that the way that they basically keep it accessible and managed right. and they don't turn it into, don't let it turn into a, you know, Twitter. Twitter. So you run into these, you can, you can find some really cool things there. I found some excellent Discworld stories set in the future of Discworld. Where you know characters have grown up who are children in the series, and mm -hmm. and it's like that's really well written, and, and it's you know fan fan fiction also you know not just not just from the standpoint of the kinds of stories that you don't get from the official stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Star Wars for a long time we had fan fiction that was you know Star Trek. Oh, yeah. When Star Trek got canceled before the first movie came out. All we had was fan fiction for a long time before they brought back. You could uh, argue that the Virgin, the entire Virgin line of Doctor Who, when Virgin had the rights to it, was in oh, many ways fan glorified fan fiction. But it also, as in the case with Strange New Worlds, it's a way to polish mm -hmm. your skills. 
and do something. I mean, I've written uh, two or three scripts for Star Trek, you know, and submitted them, mm-hmm. and you know, and got them back and said thank you very much. We don't, you know, do this. I had one. Um, I had one in particular. I wrote. It was a next generation script. I wrote. I think my freshman or sophomore year in college. Mm. I think it was like the third or fourth season uh, Next Generation was on. And I had this idea because Deanna Troy is command level rank. Right. What would happen if something untoward went wrong and awry and suddenly she's in command of the ship? Because she's never been in command of the ship. Right. At that point, she wasn't. So a, I wrote this uh, a, first draft. A of doctor's a, orders for the next generation. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of like that. And I thought, okay, well, um, it, it, we'd call it the center seat mm. because it's all about command and how you handle command right, yeah. in crisis situations. So I wrote this script, and I thought it was pretty good. And I put it in a drawer, and I sat on it for a year, which, in retrospect, I should not have done because I pulled it, I pulled it out, and by that time, Wesley was gone. Mm-hmm. Ensign Rowe was there, mm-hmm. and there was this. But so I was like, okay, well, I got to revise it to right, yeah. match the new characters. And I actually had a pretty good dynamic between Rowe and Worf because they didn't interact very much in the show. Right. And it wasn't any kind of a romantic thing or sparks flying or anything like that. Right. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It was more, you know, I'm not going to trust you, but. I'm gonna. We can respect each other because we're both kind of on the outside. Right. And I put this thing together and I submitted it. And as soon as I had mailed it in, they aired the episode where they hit that cosmic string, and the whole sh- Captain's Day. You right, know, yeah. so Picard is stuck in the in the elevator with the kids, right. and Deanna's in command of the ship. And I'm like. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Missed it by that much. But I, st- I, I it's still it's still a solid script. Yeah. But but it's one of those things where you know, as a fan, you want to get it right. Yeah. You want to do everything you can to get the characters' voices right, the cadence mm-hmm. and the kind of vocabulary that they use because right. you know, Spock and Data are the equivalent characters of the two different shows, but they don't talk a thing alike. Well, and you can really tell when someone can't capture the voice right. Yeah. And so there have been some published Star Trek novels. Star Wars, too. Where you just look at them and go, no. you're, you're this far off, but it might as well be the world. The most egregious... Star Wars novel that does that. Crystal Star? Is the Crystal Star of Vonda McIntyre. And I hate saying that because Vonda McIntyre is a good writer. Oh, yeah. She's written some great Star Trek novels. But the Crystal Star is... No. No. It's outside of the Yuzong Vong stuff, the Crystal Star is probably the worst EU novel out of all of them. Well, and the the Yuzong Vong, I think... The... Yuzong Vong's whole arc was there. There's definitely some missteps along the way, oh, yeah. but at least it was interesting. They tried to sit there and go, "Okay, 
the empire's played out. We need a new bad guy. And so they mm-hmm. sat there and went, okay, let's do this. And yeah. some fans thought it was really interesting. Some fans hated it. Some fans loved it. Some fans went, this is a thing that's happening. Yeah. And and there was some, you know, Chewbacca was, getting Chewbacca dying and things like that were, were really traumatic for a lot of fans well, because it was the only stuff we were getting. Yeah, and I interviewed Salvatore on that. Mm-hmm. R.A. Salvatore was the one who wrote that book. Right. And he told me that that decision had been made at the highest levels of Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. It was going to happen whether he wrote it or yeah. somebody else wrote it. It was going to happen. Because what they had done is they had gotten themselves into a corner where, okay, we've been going all of these years and we have these characters and everybody knows that they're going to make it to the end because they're the heroes. We have to raise the stakes. So Lucasfilm executives made the decision that Chewbacca was going to be the one to die. Mm -hmm. And... Salvatore got the assignment, and of course he's sweating bullets the whole time because oh, he sure. knows what's coming. Oh yeah, he knows what's coming. When this book comes out, he is going to be completely destroyed. And this is before the internet. Can you imagine if that book had come out now? Oh God, yeah. But so uh, he he's, he sat and said, "Okay, it was a mandate. It was a Lucasfilm mandate. Chewbacca's got to die." So my goal was to give Chewbacca the most heroic death that I could give him mm-hmm. because that's that's what I've got to do. Right, yeah. And and so he didn't have any choice. Right, and that's, I think it's something that people need to bear in mind is that when you are writing for a licensed material, you are often given parameters for this story. You don't yeah. get to just come in and write your own novel that you want to give them. They're you going can to pitch tell... the ideas. Right. But they're going to sit there and say, here are the guidelines. Yeah. Here's the things we want in there. Um, there are... And funnily enough, Dayton Ward is actually now in a position where he is helping to coordinate mm-hmm. the canon, as it were, uh, between all of the TV shows right. and the published works. Which is fantastic. It's a great opportunity for him. And I don't think... I don't think that means that the published stuff is going to become part of canon the way all of the Star Wars stuff is Mm. now. Everything is canon. Although I think the new um, Discovery Enterprise novel that's set with... It's it's Pike's crew set during the, the Enterprise war. war. Yeah. yeah. I I my I thought I heard that was supposed to be canon. But I got uh, I, I got to go sure. back and look because because Dayton has made a few comments. Mm. And what I would like to do is maybe get him on oh, yeah. uh, Good Morning Multiverse and do an interview and say, "Okay, what exactly is is yeah. all of this doing?" Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, but you know, that's that's an opportunity there where fan fiction turns into well, a and, professional career. And you look Ronald at, D Moore the same way. Oh yeah. Well, I uh, was just thinking uh, just occurred to me when um, when the Doctor Who book series was wrapping up their Gallifrey arc, the, mm. the enemy, and it was basically Faction Paradox. Well, Lawrence Miles, who created Faction Paradox for the Doctor Who book series for the, uh, the Virgin line, uh, I want to say it was, uh, I can't remember if it was Virgin or for BBC at that point, but anyway, he created this, this enemy and then hated what the other authors who wrote the, these characters afterward did with them. Mm-hmm. 
So when, because he actually owned the faction paradox idea, he basically took it away over here and he had his own series. You could buy faction paradox books, faction paradox audio, faction paradox comic books. And it's the Doctor Who universe with the serials rubbed off. Mm. And it's basically the time war from oh, Doctor okay. Who, except told almost through allegory. And, I mean, the, a, a whole world is created from a TARDIS that is basically the, the, it's the basis for this entire reality. Hmm. And it's, I mean, it's a fascinating, it's, it's very weird and trippy. Sure. It's fascinating and cool. But it basically was the author writing his own fan fiction to write the ending to the story that he thought that the licensed folks screwed up. Kind of like James Cameron coming back to the Terminator films. Well, to Almost. some degree, um, it's exactly or Rid- Ridley that. Scott coming back to Alien. Yeah, but <laughs> the problem. Yeah, no, but I think I think that that you could make the argument um, that places like um, I think it's fanfiction.net or Archive of Their Own or these, all these other places you could find tons of, of fanfiction websites. Right. That these, fo- the, these folks are playing in a sandbox that, for all the, for all the downsides of quote-unquote fan fiction, for all the, the dark and squicky Rule 34 uh-huh. sections of the universe, there are some interesting stories being told by fans, and sometimes those fans are big names. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of writers and, and producers and, and creators who read the fan fiction that their fans oh, write. Yeah. Well, and there are some who refuse to because they're afraid they're going to read something really good and then later they're going to come up with an idea that they're like, well, I just ripped off one of my fans. Yeah. And they don't want to do that. Well, they want to make sure that they're, they, they're, they're telling the story, that, you know, their own story, but they don't want to... They're excited that there are people out there telling stories. A lot of creators love that there's fan fiction of their stuff. Planet Comic Con, uh, I want to say in 2013, this is back mm-hmm. when it was in the old place, yeah, before uh-huh. they moved downtown, um, I interviewed Nick Lowe, who was the group editor for all of the X-Men Marvel Comics oh, titles. Right. Uh-huh. And the big, the big thing that always crops up when people are talking about getting into comics, breaking into comics. Mm-hmm. They have the portfolio reviews. Right. You can bring in your artwork. Can you do sequentials? Can you do backgrounds? Can you do you right. know, layouts? And all these can you draw things? feet? Can you draw feet? Um, how, many, how many pouches? How many shoulder pads? <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. But it's really hard to bring in your portfolio <laughs> oh, for writing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so Nick was basically saying, okay, in order to do this, what you need to do is you have to, you've got to write. You've got to write your own stuff, mm-hmm. right? Write what you want, what kind of stories that you want to see. And, you know, and that was when web comics were becoming a thing. Right, yeah. And the internet was, was just blowing up with all the sorts of the creative and everything. And um, he, was, he was basically saying that's how, that's how editors at the comics companies right. find some of the new talent that they've got is they're looking at the web comics and they're seeing what kind of talent is out there for writers and artists. Mm-hmm. And, and you have those connections being made and things like Archive of Our Own or, or, or 
uh, a lot of deviant art stuff. There's oh yeah. A, um, uh, oh, you can guy, you can find fan fiction everywhere. Who is it? Art Germ is his is his handle. Oh, okay. I can't, I can't remember his his name right off the top of my head, but um, he was on deviant art, and I remember seeing a lot of his stuff. He's he's got gorgeous artwork. And a lot of it was anime characters, mm. and he was starting to do a Marvel stuff and DC stuff. It was all fan art, right? But it was, it was Alex Ross level mm-hmm. quality. I mean, oh, it my, was top my kid stuff. does does amazing fan art for uh, just a lot of Overwatch stuff right now. Yeah, and that's commission work. Yeah, it's paid to do this stuff. Yeah, and and you know. Alex Ross mm-hmm. even started. He, you know, I saw. I just, I actually just ran across a little video where he was talking about Marvels, because mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was, I think it's what twentieth anniversary or twenty fifth anniversary or oh, something wow. now. Yeah. But um, he was talking about how he got started in yeah. comic book art was basically the challenge for him was, can I paint fire? Mm. Because tough. All, of, all of the all of the fire that he'd seen in comic books, yeah, you know, it's it's all line and color and whatever. Sure, right, he says yeah. it doesn't look like fire. He said, "I figured if I could do a man on fire, which is why he started with the Human Torch, the original Human Torch." Right. Um, he said, "I figured if I could do that, then I'd have it." And this idea of doing, you know, he uses a lot of photo reference mm-hmm. and. You can see in his artwork, because he does a lot of watercolor stuff, but his emphasis is on doing stuff that looks more photorealistic and less comic book. Right. So you see the folds of the fabric. You see the wrinkles. That's why his artwork, I think, resonates with so many people. It yeah. feels like it could be real. Yeah. And, I mean, it's obviously and, art, but it, I mean, it's... And then you've got Adam Hughes, mm-hmm. who does the same kind of thing only it's i don't want to say cheesecake but it's more comic book proportioned uh, yeah but that's <laughs> the style of his art yeah is more um it's it's more it's like pinup version of alex ross right. and i yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I i hate to it's say not, it that not way, in a negative necessarily in no, a negative no, way no no i i alex uh, alex ross and and adam hughes both are are fantastic artists right uh Hughes has this one piece, and I'm sure that a lot of people have seen it, where all of the DC heroines Mm -hmm. are standing all together, and they're all wearing white. They're not in their costumes. They're in white dresses and gowns and and suits and whatnot. And Selena Kyle's over there in the black dress, being the oddball. Um, But everybody's there. I mean, and and even some of the more obscure ones, you're looking at me, who's that? Well, you've got, you know, of course, you've got Wonder Woman, you've got Power Girl, and you've got Supergirl, and you've got Batgirl. Well, she was she was in the wheelchair, so it was Barbara Gordon. Right. You had Huntress. You had uh, Vixen mm-hmm. in this lineup. You had, um, of course, you had Selena Kyle. You had Zatanna. Uh, and the fun was in figuring out who they all were. Right, yeah. Because you had little visual cues. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wonder Woman, of course, is obvious. She's standing right there in the middle, and she's got the big, the big poofy hair, and she's taller than everybody else. Right. Okay, um, but some of the other ones, you know, is that, is that, wait, yeah. wait, oh, there's, you know, um, Black Canary's got the choker, 
and it's the only it's the only thing that you can say. Like, okay, that's mm-hmm. that's Dinah. So you, you know, Hughes has got some really fantastic artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, but Art Germ and it's Sam, I want to say his first name is Sam, but I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. Um, he started off on DeviantArt, and you get a there's a lot of art. Oh yeah, there are a lot of really talented artists over on DeviantArt, mm-hmm. um, and photographers. Yeah, but you get some fantasy art over there that's not not related to anything. It's just mm-hmm. people coming up and creating their own worlds. Yeah, there's some really brilliant stuff over there. Well, I think what's interesting. Oh, I was going to say when I was in school, with part of my major being art, mm-hmm. we took a seminar on how to get your stuff into galleries. Right. Yeah. There's a business side. To sure. Our art world. Of course. And the being an older student who has bills hmm. at that point in my late twenties, um, you know, you have these kids who are, you know, twenty-one and like, oh, I'm going to get my stuff in galleries and stuff. And I just, my yeah. thought was, I would rather get a piece of my work, sell it off to like wizards for whatever, you know, a fan art, sure, and sell it that way because I have a better chance of making money. Right. Yeah. Than going to the gallery. Well, and maybe yeah, I mean, selling a piece. Well, yeah, because I think to some degree, the the gallery world. My my degree is in graphic design, and it was a minor, essentially a minor in painting. I mean, if I if I'd worked gone to school another semester, I could have ended up with a major in painting, right? Yep. Um, but I think you end up with the the art world is uh, sadly very trend driven. Yeah, and and that's I mean that's the way a lot of th- a lot of things are trend driven. It's not just the art world. But if you are big, then you will sell. If you are not, talent doesn't always determine sales. Right, and that's the way it is in everything. But in the art world, it becomes you, you can toil for many, many years producing brilliant pieces of art and die unknown. And the, the history of art is full of artists we look at and go, this is a genius. This art is amazing. And they, and they were dead. And they were dead and they died poor. Or they, di- or they died, you know, they starved to death because they couldn't eat. Art germ is Stanley Lau. Ah, okay. And if I if we can do it, this camera works here. Let's let's pop over and let me see if I can um, let me see if I can hold this up um, so go. people can see some of his art. Okay, go ahead and is it in focus? Um, it's kind of not really in focus, but. Um, uh, does he have one? Does he have a Deviant Art profile that this you can just? This is his Deviant Art profile. You can I'm just. You can. Out. Is it one that you can go without view without setting up a Deviant Art account? Because they've got. Yeah. They've got layers where they for for protecting the you know the eyes of the right. audience. Right. Um, and all of this stuff is is pretty is pretty tame. Yeah. Ish. Again, again, um, Deviant Art like Archive of their own or a lot of these other places they have they have warnings about content. So if yeah. you, if you don't want to look at something, if you if you want your uh, uh, you you have you know the personal choice of what you want to look at. You can you can make that choice in places like DeviantArt right. as well. But this one, I mean, he's got you know DC. Don't let the name fool you if you haven't been there. DC and Marvel, and you know he's got action comic stuff, and yeah. and he's actually now started doing uh, cover art, official cover art for Marvel and DC. Well, so, I think that I think that to some degree, it the 
the label of fan fiction in comic books is not quite well they don't necessarily call it you know fan art there's a there, there there's a distinction of a few letters between fan art and fan fiction but it's the same thing and i think that one of the things that you know uh one of the things that that even getting an award whether you know the the fact the fact that an a a site of original fiction got any kind of award at all mm. is a thing that that I think we're starting to see more and more people recognize that fan fiction is a to some degree is a viable art form because you can have really good writing by non-professional writers Right. Set in the worlds of these genre stories. And a lot of it is genre, by the way. I mean, a lot of it leans, a lot of fan fiction leads very heavily towards fantasy and science fiction genres. Well, and. And, and comic books would or you, comic heroes. Would you consider that the, the Hugo that they got was for best related work? Which, to me. It's a very. Broad. That's very broad. It's very broad. I mean, we're a related work in sure. some ways, but uh, if you had, um, I th- I think maybe it's more a recognition of the quality of the site, I as think, opposed well, I th- to any any particular. And I think I think stories. I think because I mean, how do you call, how do you how do you, you right? I mean, especially considering that, that you know you can't you're not looking at individual things, but I think that that in that regard. It's the kind of, you know, the fact that they put this kind of effort into making this kind of site an accessible, workable thing mm. where these people can come together and put these stories out into the world. I'm honestly, in that particular category, I'm honestly really surprised that the Ursula Le Guin piece didn't win in that in that category. Which was it? Was it a the documentary? documentary? Yeah. yeah. I, I figured for sure that would I was, get, um... Uh, uh, Hugo for that. There were some there were some interesting choices in that category to to, to look at, um, and some of that I'm, I kind of need to hunt down and look at it because I'm like, oh, what is this? Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, best long form dramatic presentation. Uh, short form dramatic presentation was an episode of The Good Place, um, which I have not watched, and I have been told it is yeah. an extremely good show. Best um, professional editor, short form, Gardner. Do, is it Doz, Dozois? I think so. I Dozois. I, I can't remember. I I've, I've never heard it spoken. Yeah, I've, I've always um, seen it in print. But this was his last year of eligibility, and of course he's passed away. So, mm-hmm. so that that is good to see that. Best professional artist. Charles Vest, best art book. Oh yeah, if you have, if you have checked out Charles Vest's art, it's uh, very good. I'm a huge fan of Charles Vest. Uncanny Magazine again for best semi prozine, hmm. um, best fanzine, Lady Business, and uh, one of the people in that group, he showed up in a dress. Best fan writer, Foz Meadows, Foz Meadows again. Um, the Lodestar Award for Best Young Adult Book, Children of Blood and Bone. That name sounds familiar, but I can't... By Tommy Adeyemi. Can't think of why... I am probably read an article on it somewhere. John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer, Janet Ng. And, of course, the 1944 Retrospective Hugo's this year. Um, we did 
get confirmation Worldcon in 2021 is going to be in Washington, D.C. Oh. I'm going to I think be... the third time, but it hasn't been there since, I want to say, 1940-something, mm. 47. I'm going to be in D.C. in November, but not in 2021. Well, I'm thinking that maybe we might want to reach out and see if the broadcast from there they again. want to do what we did in 2016. Here. Interestingly enough, um, based on the prices that my company we're going, we got a, we have a conference to go to in November, right. um, and we're all you know the company's paying for us all to go. How nice of them! Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, actually, but we actually are getting really, really good rates. Yeah. So, I mean. Like affordable in our affordable range rates. Well, that's, so that's not a bad. It's kind of not a bad idea. <laughs> if you if your if your company wants to sponsor the, uh, yeah, the no, coverage, that, that, and, that would be wonderful. But I, I don't see that yeah. be happening. Yeah, well, uh, my, my my company likes me and all, but. Nasvik, Nasvik, the North American one. Nasvik is the is the Worldcon in the U.S. when Worldcon is outside the U.S. Right. Yeah. It is. It is. Well, okay. Let's 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 qualify this. The World Science Fiction Convention is run independently every year by the host convention that has it. So Dublin this year is a completely different group of people running Worldcon than the people that ran it last year, than the people that ran it in Kansas City or anything. Right, yeah. So each Worldcon has its own name. So for instance, when it was when it was Kansas City, Mid Americon Two mm-hmm. was Worldcon when it was here. Uh, when it's in Washington DC, I think they're calling it Discon, Discon three. Mm. So they're taking the name of the local convention, gotcha, and that becomes the thing. But it's also the Worldcon, and so um, I don't even know where it is next year. I want to say um, it's New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah, so Con New Zealand so, is going to be Worldcon. So next year we'll have a NASFIC in North America. Ohio. We'll be in Columbus, Ohio, right. and that's completely um, run independent and separate under the auspices. Of the World Science Fiction Society, which owns the brand. Gotcha. So we will so, be able to talk to whoever we know who's with Worldcon about doing collaboration. Well, we don't, know anybody, we don't know anybody with Worldcon. The people that are our contacts were with MidAmericon. Right. Now, MidAmericon people could maybe possibly put us in touch with the people in Columbus. Right. So we could go to Nasvik in Columbus next year, maybe, and then the year after that we go to D.C. But you ha- we would have to contact right. each individual organi- organizing body that's running that particular convention. But I wouldn't mind going back. I mean, no, it, we, it, we, had we, a, had, we had a, we had a great time. We did over 50 interviews. Um, Mindy chased George R.R. R. Martin out of the restroom. So, you know, I mean, our our day was made that, that day. He so. said hello to me. I that was my whole interaction with... with you kept David Bread from his from his panel. And, I, you know, I became besties with... Uh, what's his, what's I, did, I did we, not... We did great. I did not chase David Bryn away. I let him talk. Yes, that's oh, true. That's true. 
I did fanboy a little bit when we talked to Alan Dean Foster. I, uh, a little bit. I, a little. I was fanboying with David. That's why I didn't stop him talking. <laughs> you just you just keep talking, yep. man. I love your books. Yep, just go ahead. Just just talk away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it would be fun to go back. And we are going to be at TopCon in Topeka in September. Uh, that weekend, I think the 21st or 22nd, we're going to be in Topeka for TopCon. And we are going to have a booth. And we're going to broadcast like we did. Um, we did get a notice that we've got clearance for two passes at DragonCon in two weeks' time. A week and a half now. Uh, but I don't see how we're going to make it down there at all because we don't have any sponsors. I haven't gotten anybody to respond back whether or not they're interested in doing that. Um, but that... That would be one that I would want to get to, um, would be Dragon Con and then Fanex in Salt Lake. I mean, right. I've got this whole list of everything that I want to do yeah. with this brand, with this site, with all of the things that we're doing, with all the content we're generating. But there's two challenges to that. One is manpower and two is money. Right. And we don't have enough of either one of those. So, you know, it's just, it. Well, we it do. Dragon Con being 24/7. Yeah, Dragon Con, yeah, Dragon Con is 24-7. There is something going on all the time yeah. in, in those hotels. And there's five hotels. It's all spread out. And so, you know, ideally what I would want to do is we'd have our booth. Yeah. And we'd have the people in the booth. And that would rotate. And then you'd have the people out at the panels sure. coming back and reporting back on the panels but there's so much going on yeah. you'd have to have you know and I, t I told when I was talking to Dan Carroll of, over at DragonCon about it I was like you know we'd have it, to do it right yeah. we need about six to ten people and he says well there's no way I can get you those that, that number of passes right. for a site that's small but we did manage to get two yeah. but you have to figure out how to get there yeah and that that's I don't think that's going to happen this year, but you know, it's on the list yeah. of of things that we would like to do. So, anyway, all right. So, are we talked out? I think we kind of are. All right. Um, and, and check, check out if you know again if you're if you're a fan of if you're a fan of a particular genre or a kind of story, and you're interested in checking out stuff from people who are not the creators of this thing, who are just fans of the of whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, Farscape, Discworld, anything, anything at all. Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter. Uh, well, honestly, um, Harry Potter fanfic has turned into uh, mm. uh, this Mortal Instruments. Started off, started yep. off as Harry Potter fanfic. Yep. So you have to think about it. So, so this stuff, this stuff turns into other things. There are these sites out there. Archive of Their Own is just one of them. If you want to check this stuff out again. Consider what you're looking at, okay? Look for the warnings. If you don't want to read certain things, most of this stuff is labeled. It will tell you that you don't, so you don't have to sit there and go, I don't want to see Kirk and Spock as a couple. Yeah. You can, it's going to, it's going it's, to, it's on the tin. Funny, funnily enough, if you read Gene Roddenberry, if you read the novelization of Star Trek, the motion picture, yeah. the foreword by James T. Kirk, Mm-hmm 
actually addresses the slash fiction. Oh, I'm sure it does. He actually mentions it's been so yeah, long since I've read because that. Kirk was writing about you know, by the time we got back, there were all these stories being told about us, and mm. things just kind of got bigger in the retelling and all this. I didn't even. You know, and there was this little footnote. There was even this other stuff. This uh, no, hey, no, we. I don't know where that came from. It's so basically kind of Kirk, you know, Roddenberry through Kirk disavowing the slash fiction, but and, he did it in a kind of a clever way. And yet, so. in the what is it? The um, oh, I can't remember the new voyages. There were what two new voyages, um, short story collections. Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah, fan, yeah. yeah, the fan written stuff. Uh, yeah, and from what seventy seven, yeah, eight, and and some of the stuff that actually made it in there was it was thinly veiled uh, slash fiction. There it was, was very one, interesting. There was one that actually got adapted by the Phase Two guys, Mind mm. Sifter. Yeah, yeah, which this is back after James Colley quit playing Jim Kirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new guy, and I can't remember his name. I want to say it was Bobby Rice, but I don't think it wasn't Bobby Rice, because um, Bobby Rice played Peter Kirk. Ah, okay. Um, and I can't remember the the guy's name who played Kirk after Collie, but they did Mind Sifter, and they actually adapted that story from New Voyages. Because I remember when they said they said this is what we're going to do. I thought, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Because now you have fan fiction adapting fan fiction. Right. It was yeah. kind of kind of fun. So, but yeah, there's there's that, and of course we've got the we've got the list of winners of the Hugo Awards on our site, sci-fi-for-me.com. and in the spirit of fostering amity for the forthcoming peace talks, I will I will on the record uh, apologize. It was not my intention to to ambush, but when you said, "Hey, this site won the Hugos," I thought, "Well, okay, there's an entry point. We talk about the Hugos and this site that won the Hugos." So. Um, it did give me a chance to rant. I I, I did hijack the conversation. We the uh, rant, we, we have been known to rant in the past, and yeah. and, that, and that's fine. But anyway, all right. So there we, there we are. Um, we'll do this again next week. Yes, we will. Okay, good. And we'll have coffee. And thank you for being good, so I didn't have to bring the squirt bottle. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> just, we there's got to be an bottle. episode of that too. We have to. Nah. Have you know, we actually, we've actually been at that point already, and oh, yeah. I don't want to be um, there yet. I, I, so. I, 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 we do need to wrap this up, but there was, there's a, in the, in the show I did for the Kansas City Fringe Festival, there's actually a moment where a character, one of the, one of the actors, uh, one of the crew off stage has a water bottle and squirts it at them, and the, it gets the audience every single time, because up until that point, in the show, there has never been anything like that happening, where it's like suddenly, you know, off from off stage, a thing happens to one of the characters, uh. and it just—I mean, if 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 suddenly you and I are talking, we're getting heated, and suddenly like spraying water, <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you people sit there and get a kick out of it. It's like but. Gallagher with the with the watermelon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not we're not going to do the, that with less warning. Yeah. Uh, no, the only the only thing that we have involving fruit is Children with Pineapple Sunday Night Eleven, so and that's very tame compared to Gallagher. Um, I do have the right fruit now, the right brand of fruit. The uh, missus is still learning, so okay. you know. So we've got uh, um, as we wrap this up, let's go ahead and you know, yes, there's a new Salacious Crumbs. 
Yes, yes, drop today. And there's this episode. Yes. There is a new episode of Tartar Sauce coming up. Wednesday. Uh, where we uh, address some of the, the rumor mill going on right now, but we also talk about it in the broader sense of the broader rumor mill thing, what goes on with right. Doctor Who's had a lot of it. So we we touch we don't even we don't even get into the the big history of it. We talk a little bit about it. So because there's a lot of things to go there. Okay, uh, and we will likely not have an episode of Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday because I have a work thing, and so the logistics are are not working out to to do very much on that. But um, we will have all of those other episodes. We don't have any cosplay diaries this week because we're out of the raw stuff. We need to do some more interviews mm. for those, but that's coming. So anyway, all right, well, we've almost gone two hours. We Ooh. do that sometimes. Well, I guess we do that sometimes. All right, so, okay. <laughs> well, thanks very much for watching. Those Thank of you, you who are listening, listening in, the, uh, in the podcast world, uh, whether it's on iHeartRadio or in one of the other podcast players, thanks for listening. And uh, we will be back and do it all again next week. Copyright 2019 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 